In a region of China, years of uncontrolled logging, along with the cultivation of the steep hillsides, led to massive soil erosion. The destruction of the panda's habitat and left 200 million people vulnerable to flash floods. The government saw what they were losing and decided they needed to change their way of thinking about the area, and that meant changing the way they did things. Covering the hills with grasses, limiting the logging, and replanting the forests has once again made the land safer for humans and a fitting habitat for pandas. We live in a broken world where resources get used up, abused, and destroyed. Things wear out and decay. They get dirty and exploited. But we also live in a world where things can be cleaned, replanted, renewed, and healed. Because we have a creating God who desires wholeness and life. A 56-year-old woman is shocked by a massive heart attack. She lives through it, but she is frightened into change. She starts eating the kind of food that her body needs, and she starts walking a couple miles a day, and she swims twice a week at the Y. She meditates each morning. Her body responds. She's able to get off some of the medication she had been put on. She can move better. Her numbers are good, and she's feeling better than she has in a long time. We live in a weary world where people get sick and bodies get old and parts wear out and things stop working and people die. We also live in a world where life is renewed. Plants grow. Babies are born. People recover and healing happens. For we have a restoring God who desires for us wholeness and life. A 15-year-old from the Lancaster community becomes addicted to crack cocaine. In order to support his habit, he starts to steal from his friends, and he becomes so desperate that he actually robs his grandmother's house. He despairs when he realizes what the drugs are doing to him, and so he turns himself in and he pleads guilty to his crimes. The case is referred to the Lancaster Area Victim Offender Reconciliation Program, LaVorp, where a meeting is set up between him and his ten victims. After signing an agreement that he'll pay restitution to each person, he listens while his victims get a chance to talk to him. One, who was a neighbor that befriended him as a child, asks if now he could visit him during his drug rehab stay. Another, a woman, says that she will pray for him every night during his rehab recovery. A teenage, a teenage friend whose $1,000 worth of video games had been stolen by the offender said, 
I don't care about getting paid for my losses. I just want my friend back. My friend who used to make us laugh all the time, I want that person back in my life. We live in a fallen world where people hurt each other and wrongs escalate and evil has a ripple effect. People are judged and punished living with the result of their own sins and often the sins of others. We also live in a world where repentance and love and forgiveness and goodness abound. For we have a God who offers redemption and conversion and second chances. The people that Ezekiel was talking to were well aware of the penalty and the consequences of turning away from God. In the chapters preceding today's scripture, the prophet has been speaking of judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem. The people have been living that judgment, living with the consequences of their parent sin and their own sin. Ezekiel has made it clear to them that the fall of Jerusalem and their exile has been the result of their immoral and unethical living, their idolatry, their violent and unjust ways. So now the discouragement of exile and a crushing sense of sin and hopelessness has left the people complaining that they can't bear it anymore. Our transgressions and our sins weigh upon us, and we waste away because of them. How then can we live? But now we hear a word of hope. The prophet starts to change his tune. In all his talk of judgment, now we hear, finally, a word of hope. God responds to their lament with what Frank Yamada calls a window into the divine intention of judgment. God responds with the declaration that God does not delight in the punishment that the people have been experiencing. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God finds no pleasure in them getting what they deserve. No, God desires instead that the people will turn from their hurtful ways and live. God desires life for the Israelite people. God desires repentance so that they might turn from ways that have been destructive, ways that hurt not only others but also themselves, and choose instead ways that bring life. And God desires for us life, that we would turn from that which brings death to our earth and our communities and our bodies and our spirits and choose instead life. And because God desires life for us, not punishment, there is hope. For God offers us a second chance God offers for us the possibility of 
turning away and turning around from behaviors and habits and practices and attitudes that bring brokenness and, and destroy what could instead give life. Ezekiel's people are feeling like God's judgment has come to pass and they are doomed to take it. They have no hope in the future. Why not just give up now? But Ezekiel proclaims that there is hope. Hope in turning away from that which has been destructive to what is healing and good. For they can be agents in their own future. They can have a say in what will happen next. They aren't doomed to be bound by the sins of the past generation, but can choose for themselves to turn to God and the ways of God that bring health and wholeness. They have a voice. They have a choice. They have the privilege of taking personal responsibility for their behavior and for the outcome. If we look ahead in the scripture to verses 14 and 16, which aren't part of the lectionary, but I just think have to be read, we hear God's words, again I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet if they turn from their sin and do what is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give back what they have taken by robbery, and walk in the statutes of life, committing no iniquity, they shall surely live, they shall not die. None of the sins that they have committed shall be remembered against them. They have done what is lawful and right. They shall surely live. For God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God, our life giver, finds pleasure in our turning to what brings health and wholeness. God offers the chance to confess and turn around we are not stuck in ways that destroy. We are not doomed to stay forever in patterns that hurt and tear down. We are not fated to lifestyles that bring punish punishing consequences, our own personal exiles. This might be hard to believe for any of us who has struggled with a bad habit or an unhealthy addiction or a chronic sin it may be hard to have hope when we see how entrenched we are in society's hurtful systems. On a very personal level, if you've ever determined to let go of a grudge that was twisting your spirit only to find yourself picking it up again, you know that change doesn't come easily just because we want it. If you've ever struggled to learn new ways of thinking only to revert back in a time of stress, to what is dysfunctional. You know that turning doesn't come easily just because we wish it did. If you've ever asked for forgiveness and committed yourself to a new behavior, only to find yourself the very next hour doing once again what you hate, you may feel that you really don't have a choice between life and death. 
You may feel trapped in the exile of a destructive behavior that you feel powerless to change. But we have a God who gives second chances and third and even four or even as many as we need. For we have a God who takes no pleasure in seeing us suffer the consequences of our brokenness, but who rather wishes for us life. And God's hope for us, no, God's wish for us is our hope. God wishes for us life. And as the source of our life renews that life within us as we turn again and again to that God and God's ways. And because we have a God who wishes life for us, our brokenness itself may be what leads us to healing as it leads us to that place of turning, that place of conviction and conversion as exile led the people to see that they needed to turn again to God, our own hurtful living brings pain that makes us long for something different, something better. And we seek a new way, a way that leads to what restores. Brokenness and wholeness can lie very close together, for the consequences of brokenness may be what cause us to seek the way to life. In the Roman scripture that was read, we see Paul giving a call similar to Ezekiel's, but instead of talking, instead of using turning language, he uses the language of laying aside and putting on. He urges the believers to take off those behaviors that can only, in the end, be harmful, either to themselves or to others. He reminds them that the commandments about adultery or murder or stealing or coveting or any of the commandments, they're all summed up in the rule to love, to love others as we love ourselves. For love does no wrong to the neighbor, he tells them. And so we are to lay aside the things that hurt and destroy, those practices that have consequences that end up being our punishment. And we do it, he says, by putting on, instead, the Lord Jesus Christ. We clothe ourselves with Christ. And once again, we see we have a choice. We get to decide. We can decide to lay aside. We can decide to put on. In Christ, God has provided a way out of exile for us. For God desires for us not punishment for our folly, but healing and wholeness and righteousness. And in God's wishes for us, that's where our hope is. Recently, I was reading about the Colosseum in Rome, and I was reminded again of the practice of the gladiators fighting to the death. At the end of the fight, when one fell helpless to the ground, the victorious opponent would approach the emperor and ask, should he live or die? And sometimes the emperor would let the crowd decide. Think how he could use this ploy to placate the huge Roman populace. K 
Can you imagine the power rush it must have given the masses of Rome's poor setting way up there in the upper seats? To be given the decision of whether someone would live or die. It's an amazing choice to be given. And it's a choice we are given in choosing to turn to a forgiving, creative God and the life-giving ways of that God. We can have our say. In turning towards God, we say yes to life for our spirits. And in the living out of that, we say yes to life for those around us. For God desires for us life. Ezekiel sought to bring this hope to his helpless and hopeless people. And if we jump ahead in the prophet's message, as it is recorded near the end of the book in chapter 47, Ezekiel tells about a vision that he has been given. It's a vision that I think is one of the most hopeful passages in the scripture. For it is a vision about that which has been a place of death becoming instead a place of abundant life. It is a vision about how the presence of God can change things so that life can be found where it has not been found. It is a vision about how change can happen. And so I want to finish my sermon by telling you about this vision. And because in the vision, Ezekiel is asked not just to look, but to also take part, I will ask you to come along and experience with him these sights of hope. You see, a new temple will replace the one that has been destroyed. And a man whose appearance was like bronze gives Ezekiel a tour of this new temple. He's carrying a linen cord and a measuring rod. And he shows in a very detailed way, with measurements and all, a vision of what this new temple is going to be like. And after they have toured the outer spaces and the inner sanctuary and the altar area and the rooms for priests, along with a lot of detailed instructions on how all these spaces are to be treated, they go back to the entrance of the temple. And water is coming out from under the temple threshold. And Ezekiel and the man go wading in this water. And we're going to join them in this wade to see what they see. For 1,500 feet, we wade in water that is only ankle deep. It's easy to walk. It feels good in this hot summer day. Except now it's getting a little deeper. Now it's up to our knees. And we're getting a bit wet here, but we keep going. Except now it's up to our waists. Our clothing is getting saturated. And we're well aware of the swirl and the pool of the current as we walk this next 1,500 feet. Now stop, because now the water is so high we cannot wade. 
we would have to swim, except that now it's so wide, no one could cross it. And so we have to get out of the water, and we, we are led by the man to the bank of the river. And we see there are many trees growing on both sides of the river. And we see that the river is now emptying into the sea, the Dead Sea. Taste it. It is seawater. But if you taste it again, you will see it is sweet now instead of salty. The water flowing from the temple is making it fresh. And where no fish have been, now there are fish everywhere in the water. People are fishing all along the sea, and swarms of living creatures now live wherever the river is flowing. But look, there on the edges where there are swamps and marshes, there is still salt because we still need some salt. We have walked a ways, so let's sit here under these trees that line the river. And we can picnic because the trees are fruit trees. A huge variety of fruit grows here. And because they are fed by the water from the temple, they produce much fruit. In fact, they produce a new crop every month. And their leaves? Their leaves are medicinal, used for healing. So we can rest and eat and be healed. For Ezekiel, the river of life flowed out of the temple because God's presence dwelt in the temple. And the river came from that presence. And the river of life flows through us as our turning to God allows God's spirit to dwell in us. The river of God turns salt into fresh, bitter into sweet, that which destroys life into that which nurtures life. Those who are nourished by the stream of God's presence are fruitful and as God's spirit flows in and around us, we bear much good fruit. As the river of a God who desires life for us heals us, we become healers to other, and the river continues to grow deep and wide. So come, turn again to the God who wishes for you life and be washed, refreshed, cleansed, and healed in the river of God's life-giving presence. Come. <laughs>